Hello, my friends, Rob Orman here. This is Stimulus Episode 2, Pregame Like a Pro. In this show, you're going to hear different techniques, tactics, strategies for starting your day with the goals of improving performance, experiencing more joy, and doing what you do with intent rather than going through the motions. I can't say that the answer for you specifically will lie in the next 47 minutes. It might, and that's fantastic, but my objective here is to just light a spark so that you'll at least think about how you prepare for whatever's coming next. That could be going to work, could be going to school, doing some sort of activity, writing a letter, entering a meeting. It, it doesn't matter. If you transition from one endeavor to something that is completely different with the same mindset, without adjusting your cognitive frame, Will the results be exactly what you want them to be? Taking that even deeper, if you go about your day feeling like an automaton or worse, feeling some level of disgruntlement, what will that result in? Now on the flip side, how would things work out? What would be your experience if you pre-gamed like a pro? I woke up in the middle of the night recently after a string of shifts that were filled with, I don't know, around 90% of my energy spent working the system, doing the stuff around patient care. And what woke me up was this shocking realization that the process of practicing medicine had become my purpose for being a doctor. It didn't feel like it was patient care anymore. I mean, I still did that, of course, as do we all. But what I thought about, what I spent my time doing was all this other stuff. Being an EMR jockey, being at the whim of administrators who have no idea what we do, being overwhelmed, juggling phone calls, juggling consultants, and kind of this awareness of the specter that any patient I was seeing could end up in a lawsuit. I mean, how horrible. A lot of us feel this way. It's like being a cog in a machine and being that cog takes up all the energy we can muster and it leads to burnout, if not worse. And when the process becomes the purpose of what we do, I think we've really been transformed in a negative way. But I also don't think it's permanent. There's, of course, systems changes that can happen over time. But let's just put this out there right now. The system will not adjust to what you need right now. Let me say that again. The system will not adjust to what you need right now. You have to adjust yourself. And that's the message here, the unifying thread of this conversation. There's some things that we cannot immediately change about the process of medicine, but we can change our mindset. And one way, one tool to do this mindset shift is to pregame, is to mentally prepare ourselves at the beginning of each day to help us keep sight of our purpose. Whatever that purpose is, it's going to be unique to you. But by pregaming, we can set ourselves up to operate at a peak level of performance and more importantly, we just experience more joy in what we do. And this is not a new concept. And you just go back 100 years. Marcel Proust wrote that the real voyage of discovery consists not in seeking new landscapes, but in having new eyes. And a few hundred years before that, Martha Washington said, the greater part of our misery depends upon our dispositions and not upon our circumstances. And a few thousand years before that, philosopher, warrior, emperor, Marcus Aurelius 
said external things are not the problem. It's your assessment of them, which you can erase right now. There are some things that we cannot immediately change about the process of medicine, but we can change our mindset. And when I present this to physicians, a common visceral response is, you know, I'm kind of above all that. I'm a freaking doctor, man. My mindset, it's already perfect. But let me challenge you with just the opposite. Changing our mental frame, it's a powerful tool that we do not utilize enough. And one reason is that we're grinders. If you're listening to this right now, chances are you are a grinder. For example, we will take call for decades and grind it out. Stay late, grind out the day. You went to college, excelled, grind it out. You went to med school, grind it out. Residency, grinding it out. To this day, you still do it. You are a grinder. It's almost part of the job description. Getting the work done no matter what until sometimes you're just a shadow of your former self. Quien es más macho? We are más macho. We are grinders. And being grinders, we rarely stop to think about how we think about this job and think about our mindset. So let's break down a tiny thing. Just give an example of this. A patient interaction. And this was pointed out to me by a colleague I collaborate with. And when he told me about it, it was like a slap in the face. It was like a good slap, like an awakening. And I will tell you that this changed my career. This tiny difference, this simple exercise to accept gratitude from a patient. So you're at your computer and a patient you were just caring for or a family member is walking by and says, hey, thank you. And you are at your computer. You're kind of doing your thing. You're doing your dictation. You just kind of wave. Yep, 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 yep. See ya, see ya. And that's usually the way it goes because we're busy. But what about this? They're walking by. They say, thank you as they're wave and they're walking. And you say, hey, hang on, hang on just one second. Let me finish this. You wrap up whatever your task is at the moment and you walk up to him. Hey, you were in the middle of saying something. And then they say, thank you so much for taking care of my mom or thanks for taking care of me. You're welcome. It was a real pleasure caring for you. That's it. Done. From the patient's perspective, how does it feel when someone either blows you off or fully engages you? They're very different experiences. More importantly, how do you feel when you take a moment to accept gratitude? This is as win-win as you can get. And for me, when I started doing this, it was when I realized the logarithmic return on investment with even a little change in mindset. So before each shift, I think this, or sometimes I even write this, I am open to accepting gratitude from my patients. For many of us, even thinking something like this or even doing something like this, it feels really uncomfortable. And it feels new agey, self-helpy, but it works and it's simple and it's free and there are no negative side effects. I'd like to think of this gratitude exercise as one type of pre-gaming, creating or engineering a positive mindset so that when there is gratitude, I'm ready to pause, engage, and graciously accept it. And none of us start our day hoping that it's a bad day or that we treat patients poorly or blow people off. I mean, really though, we don't think about how we want our day to go much at all. We just get up and go and do it. There's not a lot of attention to the intention about our day. And as elite 
level performers, which is what we are, we're kind of outliers because other elite level performers do do this. They do pregame. They create the mindset for peak performance. I have a friend who was an actor. He's now a doctor, but he was on Broadway. He was in movies and he would spend 30 solid, solitary minutes before each show getting into character. Think of some athletes. Think of swimmer Michael Phelps. There are legendary pictures of him sitting in a chair before his races, headphones on, almost an angry stare of intensity. And after that, he goes and wins gold medals. Sprinter Usain Bolt. He hops and skips around the track. He's building up his energy. He's laughing and joking. And then he's on the starting blocks. The why of doing these exercises, it's the same for all of them, the actors, the athletes, whoever, is so that they can bring about their game time mindset and operate at that very rarefied level. And something so beautiful about this is in how they do it. They all do it differently. They all do it in a way that works for them. There's no one right way. There's no one right answer. But in any arena, you can't change the game 10 minutes before, but your mindset, yes. And these are athletes and actors. What's the downside of they don't perform at peak level? It's just that their own performance suffers. But for us, the stakes are higher. In a moment, you are going to hear a different voice. You're going to hear the voice of pediatric surgeon Ross Fisher. Ross lives in the UK, and he's actually best known as a thought leader in public speaking, but he still spends most of his time being a surgeon and all that that entails. Here we go. The thing which challenged me is how badly surgeons are allowed to prepare. I know you all think that we're divas, but it struck me how badly I am allowed to prepare for doing some big shit. And that immediately before doing the big stuff, I can have someone in my ear bitching at me that the discharge summary isn't written and somebody telling me that I need to do this and somebody asking me why I haven't done that five minutes before I start operating on a 500 gram neonate. Whereas the actor, who is just performing, strutting their hour upon the stage, has a door closed, nobody is allowed in to disturb them in any way, and they are allowed to center themselves and get themselves in the position where they can perform perfectly. And you guys, it's even worse. You can be standing there about to receive the major trauma patient and somebody will come through from the other side with an ECG or some surgeon is bitching that you haven't done the CT scan and your focus is suddenly thrown. And I am intrigued at how we are elite performers and we have to be, but we have a lot of things affecting our performance in a way that if you actually, I, I don't know, go to court or turn around to one of those other elite performers and said, you know, when you're getting yourself in the game before you putt for $3 million and you're trying to get yourself covered, I am getting battered the whole time. And that's putting me off my game. And I think medicine has got something that it needs to learn from that. We do not respect the performers and get them into a position to perform as well as they might do, and yet they do. And that's, of course, is the intriguing thing, that you can suddenly have screamed at the surgeon to get the out of town, then get yourself back in the zone and deal with a gunshot wound in front of you. We somehow make it work most of the time. But what happens when we don't perform at our peak level? Downstream effects on our patients, our team, ourselves. But we rarely mentally prepare for each day. Why? I think there's many reasons. As we talked about before, B12 
because we're grinders, because we accept that we just exist in this tumult, because we're just so damn busy, it's hard to pause and think about thinking. And I think also because it's not part of our culture. Well, let's change that. And what I want to do now is share the pre-gaming of several different doctors in different fields from all over the world and how they get ready to go in for a day of practicing medicine. There is not one right answer to this. There are infinite ways to go about it. And really, it needs to be something that works for you. And what works for you will probably be different on different days, depending on the substrate you're starting with. I mean, sometimes just get out of the wrong side of bed and the mindset and mental frame you want. But before we get into some examples of how it's done, I want to start off with how it's not done. That's totally different than how not to do it. This is really just not doing it at all. Here's emergency physician and author of the Bounce Back series, Dr. Mike Weinstock. This is the confessions of a total like lame ass loser to you because the fact is I don't pregame. I just don't. So more often than not, I would be like in the pool with the kids and like run into the shower and take the fastest shower I've ever taken, run into the car, drive a little faster than I should have on the way to work and get there either exactly when the shift's starting or maybe 30 seconds after. That seems to me that switching a task from hanging out with my kids to working is easily the same thing as switching from seeing a low-risk chest pain to seeing a trauma rest. I'm just not a pre-gamer. I think that's how a lot of us feel. Work is just part of what happens in the course of your day. You do it so many years. I mean, you don't give much thought to the transition before going into it. But what we do at work is so far removed from the mundane or rote tasks of the interstitium of daily life. And really, one way that many go about preparation for this is to suppress feelings of stress, feelings of imposter syndrome. Here's Dr. Clay Smith. I guess my pregame is I like to think about other things think about the news and think about non-work related things and relax and drink coffee and chill. And then I show up and I'm ready to go. What do you feel like that chill that NPR time does for you? It takes my mind off work and that's good for me because I guess I could get a little anxious if I'm thinking too much about work. What's the anxiety about? Is it about certain things about work? Is it about all of your responsibilities? There's always a feeling of can I actually do this? What if there's something that comes in that I can't handle? I go into each shift kind of feeling like, oh crap, I hope I can do this today. Now you listen to that and you think, well, you know, you must not have enough experience. The irony is that the voice you just heard, one of the smartest doctors I've ever met. He's triple boarded in internal medicine, pediatrics, emergency medicine, yet he still feels on his way to work that there are things he might not be able to handle. And he tries to drown that out, suppress that anxiety state. And I really appreciate Clay sharing that and his candor in revealing it because I personally have felt that for decades. And I think a lot of us have aspects of that kind of negative self-talk, those feelings of inadequacy. But if we start our day like that, does it feel like we're preparing ourselves for peak performance and experiencing joy in what we do? I don't know that it does. And what Clay did is exactly what I did for the first 10, 15 years of my career. That was a long time to feel that way. But what I wish I had heard was advice like this from Dr. Josh Russell. 
the elements of preparation really I break into two categories. One is how do I get my brain in a place that it's going to perform optimally from a cognitive performance standpoint? And secondly, how do I deal with the mental and emotional aspects of practice? And more importantly, keeping the emotions that are going to have ill effects on my ability to rationally approach patient care. For healthy brain function, he makes sure he's well-rested, well-fed, not overfed, and he does a few minutes of high-intensity exercise like kettlebells and burpees right before leaving the house. This is because it makes me feel good, so I do it for subjective reasons, although there have been several studies that show that immediately after exercising, your cognitive performance improves both in short-term memory and your ability to have what's called cognitive inhibition, which is your ability to tune out the noise and focus on the signal, which is arguably one of the most important parts of our job. On his way into work, he listens to medical education. Why does he do this? To be in that emergency medicine mindset. The second aspect of preparing myself for the shift is to manage my emotions. And that starts with being aware of my emotions. This is something we've talked about uh, a little bit before we started recording, but the idea of rituals and the importance of rituals. The value of ritual. It gives a sense of control. You know you're walking into something where you won't have control over every aspect. And here is an action that you always have control over. A ritual every time before he steps foot in the hospital. In this short ritual, he completes his shift from regular guy Josh to the resuscitator. So I meditate for two minutes in my car as soon as I park my car. I do a simple breathing exercise. It's sort of like box breathing, but it's more or less just giving mindfulness to the sensation of air moving over my philtrum as I breathe in and out slowly. And then I spend the second minute visualizing what I would do step-by-step step in one critical procedure. This may seem elaborate. Let's acknowledge that. Compared to most, it's pretty elaborate, but it's what works for him to create the frame of mind to attack the day. But it doesn't have to be so involved. I mean, let me give you an equally powerful pregame that is as simple as it can get. Dr. Sabrina Adams, she is an emergency physician in Colorado. She drives to work each day, right? Like most of us do. The action that triggers her to transition from, you know, I'm going about my usual day to doctor mode. And I'll tell you, her doctor mindset has a little bit of gladiator to it, a bit of an ass kicker. When she walks to her car, she looks at her license plate. And her license plate says Bafford, B-A-F-E-R-D. If you're not familiar with that term, which I wasn't, it stands for bad-ass effing ER doctor. Every day I go to work, that's the first thing I see. Just it's a good reminder of what I do and, you know, gives me motivation to definitely be a badass doctor and do my best, take care of my patients, and um, I love it. Look at that. Bafford reframe my identity in one heartbeat. Pre-game has begun. That is a quick and effective reframe. A larger reframe came to Dr. Jamie Hope. She was burning out at work. I mean, each day just felt like a slog. So she decided to, how she describes it, put four corners around the frame of her career. Instead of just punching the clock each day, instead of moving the meat, as we say, she broke down her job into the four things she loved and internalized that as her professional identity and reminds herself as she's going to work that she is 
Number one, a public safety officer asking about smoking, condoms, firearms in the house, child safety seats. She is a resuscitationist, right? The badassery of her job. A diagnostician finds joy in discovering the things that are hard to discover. And she is a patient advocate. Those four things, she reminds them as she's going in. And when this happens, she feels ownership of her career, but bringing it to the present ownership of each day. A lot of times you feel like things are being done to you. Here's another new initiative. Now we have to ask you about Ebola. Now we have this new patient satisfaction thing. Now we have five more mandatories, which is some computer online bullshit quiz that we have to take about fire safety and how to use the fire alarm. And so, so many times we feel like this is stuff is being done to us. You can get into that renter mentality. And that's so if you're renting a house, people are just aren't as gentle with it. You're making more holes in the wall. You're spilling shit on the carpet. And you're like, well, whatever. It's not my problem. But when you are truly the owner of your career, you want it to be amazing. You're going to take care of your own house because you paid for it. You put a lot of time into it. And so to really take that on as your career, yes, some other things are going to happen. You're going to have to do some repairs and maintenance, but it's just a completely different level of satisfaction. I want to be satisfied with my job. Damn it. I worked really hard to get here. There was something really quick. It was subtle in there. Did you catch it? The renter versus owner mentality. It's important to feel that you have ownership of your career. You're Medical training and your house, probably the two biggest single monetary investments you'll make in your life. Your medical training, probably the biggest time investment. When you are a renter, you don't nurture it. When you are truly the owner of your career, you want it to be amazing. You want it to grow, to be beautiful. Just like your house, you want it to be somewhere you want to be. And you act accordingly. Pre-game. This is who I am and I own this. But even with a feeling of ownership, there's still the reality of what we might face every day. Dr. Mizuho Morrison, like many of us, feels some anxiety before going to work. And her process, her pregame, is to look it right in the face. I get nervous before a shift. I don't know why. I think it's the not knowing what could come through the door. And so I got in the habit in those early years of being a fresh young attending, of kind of going through a mental thought process, typically on the drive to work, and just sort of admitting and agreeing, like, am I nervous? I am. I'm a little nervous, and that's okay. I think it's a healthy respect for the illnesses you're about to see and the diseases you're going to see. And honestly, I think it keeps you humble. But then you have to remind yourself you are capable. You are well-trained, and you know, you've never really had a case that you didn't know what to do. You may have had a crazy case come through the door, but you'll figure it out, right? Despite our various handicaps, depending on where you're working, it's going to be okay. You will figure it out just like you've always done. And you sort of take things one step at a time. The third thing I often would remind myself is that this is a privilege to be a physician. I mean, it's a privilege to be in a position to help people, which sounds so cheesy. Like this is not a medical school essay, but really we are doing what we're doing because we have a heart to care for those that are dying and sick. A sequence of three steps of self-talk, admitting and agreeing. It's pretty much the foundation of an entire school of meditation, noting how you're feeling. When you call something by its true name, it just kind of negates the power. She keeps it real. You know, I mean, she's got so much training and so much experience. Come on, you got this. And then gratitude that we get to do what we do. And, you know, it's very high concept mental preparation, but not everything has to be deep philosophy. What's the really deep, dark, dirty secret, the real mindset trigger for Mizuho Morrison? venti iced coffee, unsweetened with a drizzle of cream. If I miss that step, 
Like if I don't have my humongous iced coffee going to work, it can ruin me. Picking up that coffee on the way to work, I mean, it sounds kind of funny, but it's just like an elite runner tying up their laces in a special way. The physical steps to trigger the mind frame. And it makes me think about that one thing we all do, one action, is we get to work. We go from home to wherever it is we see patients. And this act in itself is used by many clinicians as the pregame. We're going to hear four voices in succession on the common theme of using getting there as more than just a conveyance. First, let's hear from ED intensivist, Dr. Ran Ran. I always bike to work and that's like my most zen part of the day. I feel invigorated from the bike ride and then I just feel fresh and ready to go. That's my coffee. Trauma vascular surgeon Joe Dubois walks to work. It gives me time to collect my thoughts for the day, project those things that I know I'm going to have to face and the things that I might have to face. And the wonderful thing that we have at the institution I work is we have a morning report where we talk about some of the cases that happened the night before and how things could have been managed differently or better or opportunities for improvement. And I think that really helps me turn on that switch to prepare for the day and maybe face those same challenges when it's my turn to be on the shift during the day. Intensivist Chris Nixon also walks to work and uses that time to get into a certain headspace. So that when I do walk through the door at work, I'm the person as close as possible to the person I want to be. Mostly that's a bit of just being aware of how I'm feeling. Have I got enough sleep? How sleep deprived am I at the moment? And just being a bit aware of those things because I get grumpy when I'm tired. And uh, sometimes I'll give myself a bit of a reminder, self-talk about being kind to people. Because I guess when I really step out on the floor there, I really want my team to feel like I'm glad to be there and that I'm glad to be there with them. And our last commuter, pediatric surgeon Ross Fisher, who we heard earlier, has a 90-minute freeway drive. And I'm aware that that affects my day. The commute is actually not bad. I get up and leave the house by 6.15. On the motorway, I am in a a happy place. I'm, I'm quite calm. I've got music playing on the stereo. And that's interesting that I think that is part of the the build-up to the day. So I'm not thrown straight into it by being five minutes walk away. And I have it at the end of the day too. And I, so I can often find that I've decompressed by the time I get home. Bike, walk, drive. The common thread we all have is we have to get to work somehow. And why not use that time to shift our mindset? It was so interesting that our second and third speakers, Joe Dubois and Chris Nixon, they both walk to work. And they have really short commutes. And it's kind of like a quick squeegee of the brain. Whereas Ross Fisher, he drives an hour and a half. And he feels like that amount of time is what gives him the ability to get into what sounds like a little bit more of a parasympathetic, relaxed state. So that when he gets to work, he can absorb the tumult. And that way to work can be even more of a deliberate practice getting into the medical mindset. Haney Malamut critical care, internal medicine, emergency medicine, uses the drive to work to deliberately shift from everyday thinking to medical thinking. As I'm getting in my car and driving to work, I listen to podcasts or record lectures during my commute in. Now, I know this isn't unique or novel, but personally, I really need to listen to podcasts. Otherwise, I start the shift off stupid. I work with medical students, residents, and fellows, so listening to education on the way in gets me into educator mode and inspires me to teach others during my shift. If it's really slow during a shift and I have some time to teach, I might even just reteach what I already heard on the podcast, park my car, 
and I'm walking into the building. This is where I start my mental rehearsal phase during my pre-shift ritual. During this time, I visualize procedures or I visualize the perfect code and I try to visualize things that I do infrequently like placing a Blakemore tube. I walk through each and every step just to be sure I know what's going on. And yes, I have a list of procedures that I run through sequentially. I know it's kind of nerdy, but I make sure that I go through those procedures a couple times per month. But going through this mental visualization, just like every great sports star does, allows me to get into the mode of resuscitator or critical care doctor. Does Haney Malamut somehow start each day losing all of his knowledge? Of course not. But... Listening to those podcasts primes him to think differently than the other times in his life and to be in the mode of educator. And he does that by first being educated. And he gets to the hospital well before his start time so that he can mentally walk through a procedure. And that's just like Dr. Luz Silverio. She's a San Francisco emergency physician, gets to the hospital, and before anything else, checks the recess bay. Is everything where it should be? But her real ritual is working the crowd. I do get to work 15 minutes early, and I use this time wisely. I say hi to everybody and have some chit-chat with whoever's around. Those 15 minutes are incredibly valuable, especially because during the shift, I can get tunnel vision and very end-games focused. I lose perspective of the people I'm working with. If I've taken the time ahead of the shift to catch up, check in, and make some jokes, i found that I have a little bit more leeway if I'm, quote, more directive, unquote. Having those 15 minutes ahead of time for shifts to talk to people and to evaluate my resuscitation bays is 100% necessary for me. Luz gets to work 15 minutes early. She sets the stage for how she wants a day to play out. The same goes for Michigan's Dr. Alan Seeloff. The biggest thing for me is time. Nothing makes me more anxious than the thought of being late, being stuck in traffic, or that I'm going to end up signing in. 15 minutes after my shift starts. So I always give myself time, time to eat, time to drive in, time to get ready. And for me, this usually means getting there about 15 minutes before my shift starts. Now, I don't use that time to take sign out early or drink my coffee. I use it to prep patients. I look at the board. I get some orders in before sign out. It helps me to minimize distractions. It helps me to clear my head and to have a game plan for how I'm going to approach the first few patients that I see. It lets me hit the ground running without the added pressure of four people to see, a colleague that wants to sign out, all at the same time. Taking time to prime the pump before the official start. Take the pressure off. In most emergency departments, you're preloaded with at least two people. They're waiting just for your lovely self to start your day. And you know that when you see that first one, that numbers three, four, five, six, seven, and eight, they're coming in for a landing. Our next three pregamers have a common theme of attention to intention and clearing the mind. Augusta, Georgia's Dr. Dan McCollum begins the day with intention by using the five-minute journal. So the five-minute journal has a morning and evening section where you basically reflect on things that you're thankful for, develop a personal mantra, and reflect back on great things that happen each day and ways to improve for the next day. I strongly recommend it. I'm not a journal guy at all, as in I've tried journaling multiple prior times, and it just never has worked for me. For some reason, the very short duration and guided direction of this five-minute journal is far superior to anything I've done in the past. That's probably my main mental preparation before a day shift in particular. The five-minute journal, I cannot recommend that highly enough. It's actually, it's the book that I gift more than any other. 
And it sets up success with a simple exercise. You know, we have the ability to choose the intention for our day, choose what we want to do for the day, frankly, who we want to be for the day. And taking a few minutes to think about this is like plotting a course of how you want that day to pan out. And in that book, you kind of write it down. Here's the things that it would be great if they happened today. Now, we can't control for everything and it all may go to shit, but oftentimes we start the day and go about it with no real plan at all. No real plan about how we want it to be. There's a plan of what we're going to do for sure. I mean, we've got task lists, to-do lists down like a boss. But what about focusing on things that could make this day great? Things that we're grateful for. Starting the day with a dose of gratitude is like a free little drop of dopamine. Now we're going to hear from Dr. Ruben Strayer, Maimonides Hospital, Brooklyn, New York. Ruben is an internationally known skeptic, an expert on mindset. And before work, he focuses on his attention. The most important way I mentally prepare for a shift is by practicing mindfulness, which is to say being aware of what my brain is doing to my mood and my performance. This is a skill that is cultivated slowly with lots of practice, and I'm not very good at it, but I'm a whole lot better at it than I was a few years ago. It's funny, you know, my mind is always wandering, and I'm so easily distracted, and for my whole life, I thought I was unique in this way, that my mind is special, and that my wandering mind is a sign of my creativity and my intelligence. And then I got exposed to mindfulness and meditation and trying to do it, I learned firstly that everyone is like this, that there is nothing at all special or unique about my mind wandering, and that this is in fact not a strength, but a huge weakness. And the question that you learn to ask when you try and fail repeatedly to meditate is who is in control? Am I in control or is my brain in control? And with practice, you slowly learn to take back some control of your mental space from your brain. And your mental space is everything. So the mental preparation is not like a game day ritual. It's daily mindfulness practice. I try to do five minutes per day and half the time I can't even do that. But work in progress. I think I'm on the right path in that regard. In addition to meditating prior to work, when he arrives at the hospital, Ruben has a ritual of preparing his workstation. Now that might seem like something very mundane. You know, we all prepare our workstations, but think about it for a moment. Your workstation it's like this sacred space that gets repeatedly violated during your shift. So if you were going to prepare your workstation, it would seem that protecting it from incursion would be a wise idea. Yet, until the little bit of loveliness that you're about to hear, I had never heard of a technique to make that workstation yours. Presenting the Ruben Strayer Workstation Ritual. I stake a claim to my workstation and I do everything I can to optimize that workspace to suit my needs so I can be maximally productive. I do this firstly by replacing the workstation keyboard with my own, which is a vastly better keyboard on which I can type much faster and with many fewer errors, which is a huge win over the course of a shift because even when I have a scribe, which is not all the time, I am essentially paid to type on my keyboard. But also the keyboard I have has no letters on it. All the keys are blank. So most people can't use it. So the keyboard serves as a sort of moat, keeping everyone off my property. This idea is actually adapted from one of Scott Weingart's practices. He used to, and maybe still does, replace the mouse with a trackball. And then when he got up to go see a patient, which was admittedly rarely, he would take the ball out of the trackball device and put it in his pocket. So the computer was basically useless. 
preparing the workspace, getting the game face, knowing that when the bell rings, you don't have to think about this part of your job. We so often feel like we're the whim of technology, and Ruben is turning that around, making the tech work for him and not being an extra distraction. But what about removing all unnecessary technological distractions? From San Antonio, Texas, Dr. Salim Rezaei. At least one to two hours prior to a shift, I get off all social media and email. I basically am not looking at any of this stuff. And the reason is, is because you usually get emails or you'll see something on social media to have some kind of deadline or something you have to answer. And whether we realize it or not, these are things that we carry with us subconsciously. We're always thinking about it. So when you get to work, you don't have your complete undivided attention focused on patient care. The second thing is I'll drink a huge glass of water, usually about 12 or 20 ounces before I go in. And the reason is is because one of my big vices is I just love Pepsi Max and caffeine. And I know it's not a good thing, but I try and battle the dehydration that comes with the caffeinated beverages. I also like to do a little mini workout before I go into work. And it's nothing crazy. It's just 20 push-ups and 20 crunches. I do that three to four times. The whole thing doesn't take more than five or 10 minutes but it really kind of gets the blood flowing and really helps me personally clear my mind. Isolating yourself from email, from social media, may give you increased ability to provide undivided attention to your patients, to work. And like Josh Russell, Salim does quick, intense physical activity prior to leaving, you know, just a couple minutes. And this physical preparation isn't necessarily something we think about. You know, mental prep, We've been talking a lot about that. I think a lot of people do it, but physical prep, not so. And one of the physical things that we can neglect during work is nutrition. I mean, it's a big one for many of us. We get hangry. We lose focus. I'll tell you, a work day for me has often felt like being a velociraptor, always hunting for food. But maybe that's not the only way to go about it. Maybe we can do just the opposite. What do I mean by that? From the Ultrasound Podcast and Wild Health, Dr. Mike Malin. My new thing actually these days is to actually skip eating breakfast before my AM shifts. And then during the shift, I don't even eat at all. Sort of like intermittent fasting. It's kind of hard at first, but then your body gets used to it. It's actually sort of liberating, not having to worry about eating while you're busy at work. I started doing this on my night shifts as well, even the 12-hour one. There's plenty of research suggesting we should shorten our feeding window during the day. Shift work's actually the perfect opportunity for this and a good way to go about this mentally. I wouldn't recommend jumping into fasting on a work day, starting it right then and there. You kind of got to build up to it, get your body used to the process. I tried this. I tried what Mike recommends and I failed miserably. I thought I was going to have a hypoglycemic seizure about six hours into work. And that was actually after a couple months of trying this time-restricted feeding. But for Mike, it's really paid dividends in his attitude, in his focus, and in his endurance at work. And on the topic of endurance... Professor Rich Hamilton is a rower, he's a triathlete, and he approaches a day of work just like he would a race. And whereas some docs, we've heard, ease into the shift, arrive early to work, work the crowd, he's not a believer. He shows up at go time, and then it's go. My approach is to treat a shift like it's a competitive sport. I have a showtime approach, and I guess it goes along with that whole concept of being a kind of like a competitive race. Gun goes off at noon, and so you get there at 11.59, tow the line, and get ready to go. I have a notion of getting mentally ready with a positive mindset. 
using some mental imaging to think through various scenarios or things I might encounter. I will, for example, bring in or read about some particular area of emergency medicine. So I feel like I've got a little bit of a mastery on some particular fact. And then that gives me a sort of positive mindset. Very important is nutrition. I pack a lunch, if you will, every single time. I think that's a healthy thing to do because I think one of the worst things to do is to get into a takeout mode, takeout food mode. For me, that's a recipe for too many calories. I have a tremendous concern of not having the proper nutrition to finish the race, if you will. Like getting on my bike for a long race with no water would be madness. We've heard from physicians in many different specialties, many areas of the world, stages in their career, work environments, and there's so many differences, just like the people themselves are different. There's aspects of mental, emotional, physical preparation or pre-gaming that they all do. Well, I guess except for Mike Weinstock, always an outlier. I'm just not a pre-gamer. But the message is there's things that we cannot change about the process of medicine, but we can change our mindset. We can feel like things happen to us in the process of practicing medicine. But we're not helpless victims. We're active agents in how we interact with the system. I've often felt a bit of internal resistance when going to work, especially in the hour or so beforehand. You know what? Many times I just rather not. And as I said earlier, the exercise of reminding myself to accept gratitude from patients has been really potent. I mean, once I heard it, it became an always do. And there's actually two other pregame practices I've developed, depending on the answer to the question, what is the emotion that I need? If it's just a regular day, I do this exercise. It's breathing followed by thinking about three things. First, the breathing. Three rounds of breathe in for four count, hold for seven count, and out for eight count. I learned that from Dr. Andrew Weil, and it's very similar to tactical breathing or box breathing as we heard before, and just takes a little edge off the alert state, blunts the anxiety. And once I do that, I think about three things that I am grateful for as it applies to my life as a physician. Now, I'm grateful for a lot of things in life, my family, health, I mean, lots of stuff. That's not this. This is specifically for the task coming up in the next hour. And when I do this process, I close my eyes, just helps me to focus. The first thing I think about of the three, teachers. I just think about how grateful I am that I had them to guide me on the path of learning and becoming. I mean, I put a lot of effort into my studies, but I didn't make me. There were a lot of teachers and mentors that helped with that. And it varies what teacher I think about. Sometimes it's someone from med school, maybe from residency. Maybe it was a lecturer that I saw, you know, just someone who has really impacted me. Number two, I am grateful for the skills that I have. I think about the stuff that I know that I can do. You know, I can walk into a room and in a second, no, is someone sick, not sick? What exactly needs to be done? I can do life-changing, life-saving procedures. I visualize myself in the power of that situation. And number three, I'm grateful for the opportunity to help others. What we do, despite how some would like to categorize it, is not a transactional relationship with other people. This is not selling televisions. This is not selling coffee. This is therapeutic. This is healing. People come to us in times of need and we can help them. I mean, that is so special. I think about what that feels like to help someone else. And that process takes a few minutes and then it's just like feeling supercharged. 
The first time I did this, I came into a night shift and my first patient, it was a violent drunk guy. He was covered in urine and feces. He was screaming profanities at me. You know, and I spoke to him so kindly and compassionately. I was thinking, oh man, that, that gratitude meditation really works. I was like, sir, we're going to help you. You're going to feel so much better in the morning. It's like walking on air. Now, granted, that feeling doesn't last forever. And a few hours later, when the sweet 80-year-old lady came in after passing out while she was going to the bathroom and gave a really long wandering history, I did not feel like a holy man. I felt really impatient, like I needed to go see a bunch of other people. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. So it's not like this is a vaccine for impatience or the machinations of a day of medicine. Just one part of many. It's getting off on the right foot, but doesn't mean you're not going to stumble. So that's one, but the real supercharger, you know, if I'm feeling like I need a kick in the butt or I'm feeling a little sorry for myself, I listen to this. It's former Navy SEAL commander Jocko Willink on how to deal with bad situations. One of my direct subordinates, one of my guys that worked for me, he would would call me up or pull me aside with some major problem, some issue that was going on. And he'd say, boss, we got this and that and the other thing. And I'd look at him and I'd say, good and finally one day he was telling me about some issue that he was having some problem and he said i already know what you're gonna say i said well what am i gonna say he said you're gonna say good he said that's what you always say when something is wrong and going bad you always just look at me and say good and i said well yeah when things are going bad there's gonna be some good that's gonna come from it. Didn't get the new high-speed gear we wanted? Good. Didn't get promoted? Good. More time to get better. Oh, mission got canceled? Good, we can focus on another one. Didn't get funded? Didn't get the job you wanted? Got injured? Sprained my ankle? Got tapped out? Good. Got beat? Good. You learned. Unexpected problems? Good. We have the opportunity to figure out a solution. That's it. When things are going bad, don't get all bummed out, don't get startled, don't get frustrated. If you can say the word good, guess what? It means you're still alive. It means you're still breathing. And if you're still breathing, well then now, you still got some fight left in you. So get up, dust off, reload, recalibrate, re-engage, and go out on the attack. You don't always see the bump in the road coming at you, but sometimes things go badly. We can't change that, but we can change what we do. We can change how we think about it. There are things we can't change about the process of medicine, but we can change our mindset. You've heard many different examples of that today, and now it's your turn. You may be on your way to work right now, or... Work is going to be happening soon, and then you're going to do it again the next day and the next for weeks, months, maybe even years. And each one of those days 
starts with a period of time in which you can create the set point that you want or you need. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that is. Nobody does, but you. Try different things, see what works. It might not even be the same thing each day. Maybe it varies depending on what the day holds in store. You are an elite performer with a unique set of skills. You are a pro. So use your time wisely and pregame like a pro.